Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the bitchin' double-X daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing ass-saving association, here with another ass-saving tip, totally free from me to you, to help you save your ass so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day, when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered, so he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a shitload of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know? Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man. Especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo shit? I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do, the first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know. The ass you save may be your own. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 976. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks... What are some different ideas to find or build your reader base? <laughs> Too bad she didn't say audience. I would advise doing strip teases on the roof. You'll get an audience. They might be dressed in blue and have cars with bright, shiny lights on the top, but they will watch. <laughs> um, God, finding your readers. Uh, well... I have found that uh, stalking neighborhoods at night with a machete is counterproductive. Mm, yeah. Even we, if you have interesting messages written on the blade of the machete. Or even if you carve interesting messages on <laughs> people's lawns. I'm glad you ended that sentence with lawns instead of backs. Well, <laughs> nobody can read a message that's carved into their uh, back. Pragmatism. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, the short answer is you have to go to where people are and give them something they might like. But that's kind of like saying that the way that you stay alive is by breathing in a room where there's oxygen. It's uh, it is so obvious as to not be terribly yeah. useful. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, this is something we're still working on. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, get it in, get your work in as many markets as you can, yep. and properly tag and put covers on Please. your books so that your audience can tell what it is that they have. So yeah, uh, we've struggled with this one <laughs> for years, one thing after another. So here's what we've learned as we stumble our way towards something that works. The First thing that happened was um, I started off podcasting my fiction, and I did really, really well. I got about 20 
5,000 weekly listeners, and then it accumulated more listeners as it stayed up over the years. But, of course, I haven't been feeding the machine, so I expect that when I go back I'll have probably 500 people who are still subscribed. Um, That was a very easy way, at least at the time I did it, it was a very easy way to get earballs on my fiction, partly because I caught a wave. There were a lot of people starting to do podcast fiction and doing publicity for the idea of podcast fiction, and so there were a lot of people who were just getting into podcasts who were looking for free audiobooks, and they found them. And I didn't even take advantage of podiobooks.com or other things like that because I was busy running a business, uh, running my AV production business, and I just didn't have time to do all the stuff to get myself into podiobooks or some of the other really hopping places. And I still did really, really well because I put my, I found a place, put myself in front of people that wanted my product. I delivered a very, very good product. Because I was an AV producer, I knew how to make an audiobook sound amazing, and because I was at least a halfway decent writer, I knew how to tell a very good story. And you were one of the few at the time doing um, full cast. Yeah, I was doing full cast, full production, original score, the whole bit, very decadent production values. Um... So that all helped make me stand out from the pack. And, of course, the other thing I did is something called fame jacking, which is that as I started to get fans among other podcast fiction writers who were a little further along than I was, I offered them cameos and roles in my podcast. We did a lot of that in almost a circle-jerk fashion back then because... We all had slightly different audiences, and so by doing this, we were able to get exposure to each other's audiences, and it worked very well for all of us involved, to a great to one extent or another. But when the um, oh, and when the Kindle store opened up, I did pretty well for a while in there, until I started publishing regularly. And my, see, my strategy as an author was that I was going to bounce between series and genres because I didn't want to grow stale. One of the things I had noticed with writers that I loved ever since I was a kid is those that tended to write one series or one type of story got really stale after a while, and it was just like the sparkle went out of it. It wasn't just that I'd read all this before. It was that the writers, or that the, it was that the prose itself had a quality that felt like the writer was saying, oh, I've done all this before, but I know that's what you want, so I've got to go through the motions. I didn't want to do that. And so I made the choice early on to never write two of the same genre or series in a row. Because I figured you build different skills as a writer when you're doing a conversation book versus a thriller, when you're doing science fiction instead of a mystery, when you're doing horror instead of fantasy, when you're doing uh, nonfiction instead of fiction. And so I determined that I was going to bounce around. And that would help me stay fresh as a writer, it would keep me growing, and it would make each book in each series way better than the last. And on that level, it worked. However, I neglected to reckon with the almighty algorithm. And so I had this, uh, had this thing go on where when I started publishing regularly, meaning several books a year, and in, often include, sometimes 
once every two months if you include short stories. Every time I published a new book, instead of my sales going up like they were for all of my friends, they went down. And they went down each time I published because J. Daniel Sawyer was confusing the shit out of the Amazon algorithms. Because does he write science fiction or does he write horror? Or does he write mysteries or does he write nonfiction for writers? Or does he write books about guns? What is it? So one of the ways that the algorithms drive your sales and help you achieve visibility is when someone um, when someone buys a book that's like yours, your book can randomly show up in the you might also like section. This happens at Amazon. It happens at iTunes. It happens at Audible. Um, it happens at Kobo. It happens. And it happens on YouTube, just mm. everywhere that they do these, um, where the algorithms are optimized to try to map your tastes tightly enough that they can keep you in the same box buying the same things. This effect happens, and if you're being rec, if your science fiction is being recommended from someone looking at Malcolm Gladwell or if your mysteries are being recommended for people who are looking at Frank Herbert and Robert Heinlein, you're not going to sell much. And this has been a big problem for me that I finally got religion on and fully wrapped my head around just a few weeks ago. And um, so starting with the next book, I'm going to have pen names. I mentioned this a, a week or two ago in the last block of episodes. So... One mistake I made that you should avoid is using exactly the same name to write in dissimilar genres. Um, and This doesn't mean that you should write all of your fantasy with three different names if you write paranormal and um, straight-up fantasy. Right. The only... T so it's there's a bit of a judgment call here. You want to be using your names... You, any given name you only want to use in genres where there's a broad reader base overlap. Mm -hmm. And that's how you decide how to, how, to, how to break them up. The other things you need to do is you need to get the other metadata right. Um, this is something we do a bit better with, but we're still working on. Uh, Gail is fantastic at this. It, um, you do keyword stuffing you, uh, in your descriptions. You use the right level of categorization when you publish your books. Now, in addition to that, you can do publicity things. Now, this only works if you've got a really sparkling personality, or if, like me, you have a really grumpy personality that seems to make people laugh or pay attention. Publicity things are when you get out in front of people, and you are a guest on a podcast or a vidcast or whatnot, or you participate in multi-author events that other authors fans are coming to. Other things you can do include um, fi figuring your favorite, uh, your favorite social media site, and hopefully it isn't Facebook or Twitter, because they're both very ephemeral and unforgiving, and creating a destination of sorts that will attract the sorts of people who may also be interested in the kind of fiction you write. So, like, if I was doing this on Instagram or Tumblr for my science fiction stuff, I might be posting science fiction pulp covers and 
NASA photos and whatnot every day on these things, and then at the bottom of the posts, linking back to my author page, especially mm. to the science fiction section of my author page. That method also would work on Pinterest. Yeah, and Pinterest, uh, last time I saw, Pinterest has the best return on time investment in terms of impressions and uh, exposure that you get. Uh, because the Pinterest pins last a long time, mm-hmm. where, whereas the uh, posts on a Twitter timeline or Facebook, though they're theoretically there forever, they are very quickly discounted by the algorithms and not served up in an evergreen fashion, where Pinterest doesn't have that strategy. Right. And also, when you search for related terms on Google or DuckDuckGo, it serves up Pinterest links, That's even true, if you're not specifically looking for Pinterest yeah, stuff. And on the image search as well, yeah. yep. Which so, can be very annoying if you're trying not to use Pinterest. Right. You get Pinterest anyway. Yep. So those are some of the ways that you can find your readers um, tagging, being very smart with your author branding, unlike, say, I have been, um, fame jacking. Um, judicious use of social media, advertising, however you do it, you really do want to be finding ways to harvest the email addresses of your people. You do not want to become dependent upon a platform to access an audience once you've built it. So you want to be, especially as you build your audience, you want to be offering incentives for them to get on your email list so that you know how to find them. Mm-hmm. Other ways that you can build an audience, you were a wonderful, generous supporter of my Secrets of the Heinlein Juvenile Kickstarter last month. I guess it's two months ago now, but um, by the time you hear this. Kickstarters are a way to build an audience. If you are better at sales than marketing, like I am, uh, sales is a high-touch type of situation where there's a conversation of sorts going on and marketing is more like blasting out into the void. Marketing's like a billboard and sales is like a cold contact at a coffee shop. If you're better at sales than you are at marketing, as I am, crowdfunding is a really good avenue because crowdfunding is for sales. And you can create an event, you can create a sense of occasion and teamwork if you can pitch your stories in such a way that they'll attract people who are like, ah, a new talent, I wonder, and toss a couple of bucks your way. Mm -hmm. There are people who have built careers this way. Mm -hmm. And um, once you get a small audience, you can figure out ways to crowdfund things that have a broader appeal but that start with your existing audience, you can grow your audience this way. So... Things like that are also worth keeping a lookout for. And, of course, though I don't know anything about it yet, advertising your books um, you know, by actually pouring money into them in some, with, on some of the ad platforms, uh, BookBub, Amazon ads, whatever. Several listeners to this podcast have sent me private emails talking about the amazing results they've gotten that way, and I've filed them, and I'm trying to learn from them, but I'm still a newbie on that, so I can't offer any real advice. Other than try shit, and um, Mm -hmm. one way to bootstrap this is to try different things and treat them as experiments. Do A-B testing. Right. um, Different kinds of ads in different platforms. See what you get the more 
get more response out. Right. Now, and, and be warned that your experiments are not going to be scientific. There are too many variables in this kind of a situation for controls to actually work. All you can do is sort of fail in a direction that is less disastrous than the alternative, <laughs> um, which makes it a lot more like learning to walk than it does like conducting a double-blind study on a medication. Yeah. And if you approach it with that and with a sense of play, you will probably intuit the proper lessons that are on offer much more easily than if you're trying desperately to get a fully rational, defensible result mm -hmm. out of what you're doing. Um, and of course, the other way is to, as you've already started to do, submit your work to magazines and anthologies, because one of the great secrets of marketing that I do understand is that familiarity breeds pliability. The more people have heard your name the more likely they are to pick up something of yours if they happen across it. Yes. Even if they don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that there's something familiar about it is going to bias them subconsciously towards picking up your thing versus a thing they're not familiar with. So anything you can do that makes your name familiar without making it completely untouchable... Mm -hmm is a good thing. That's why people say there's no such thing as bad publicity. Because unless the publicity is really bad, mm -hmm. after a while people don't remember the bad, they just remember the publicity part. Right. They remember that you exist, they don't know why they've heard your name. Right. So I think that covers everything I've got at the top of my brain. Yeah, so, same uh, here. Thanks very much for the question, Nicole. We'll probably be using this as a reference for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners.